Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Yeah, thank you, Billy. It's good to be with you all once again. And we're looking at this wonderful topic that God is good. Uh, from our perspective as believers, we would say, yes, God is good. Uh, there are a number of scriptures that proclaim that. Uh, Psalm 31, oh, how great is your goodness. We saw that in other Psalms as well. Uh, Psalm 73, truly God is, is good. But we might ask in the midst of trying times like we're going through, the, the skeptics, the critics might ask, uh, how does a good God allow these things to happen? You'll be aware that 10 days ago we had a mass shooting here in Canada, the worst mass shooting in our history. Uh, 22 people killed in Nova Scotia in, uh, in a 12 or 13 hour uh, period. Uh, one of them being a Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, our national police force. And so you'd wonder, well, why is a good God allow that? We're in the midst of a pandemic. And again, people might say, well, where is God in this? And you think of the tornadoes that have been going through the southern states over the last few weeks and people killed uh, there. Just today, a, in the Mediterranean, a Canadian uh, military helicopter disappeared. They have no uh, clue where it is or if they're survivors. And so you'd wonder, well, where is God uh, in all of this? Is he really good? And so God declares in his word his goodness. And as we've seen each time we've looked at this in Exodus 34, uh, when God reveals his glory, he says of his character, he's abundant. In goodness and so he's a good God so we've looked at uh, two passages so far we've looked at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and Psalm 73 in Deuteronomy chapter 8 the people were still in the midst of what was going on and so they didn't appreciate nor could they understand that what was happening to them was for their ultimate good it says in later in chapter 8 to do them good in the end uh, so they experienced hardship in the wilderness, and yet God says it was all to do them good uh, in the end. Uh, we would look at what God intended to humble them, to test them, to teach them, and say, well, why didn't they just have a sermon on it? Why didn't they have a, uh, you know, Salvation 101 and just teach those, those things? Uh, why did they have to go through uh, 40 years of that experience? But God used the circumstances uh, to teach them uh, those things. Uh, they wouldn't have understood, nor would we, the importance of humility. We might not understand why our faith needs to be tested. And we may think that, well, we can just learn from a book about God's uh, word, the importance of God's word and God's work. But God used the circumstances of life. And so they, they couldn't see the good. It reminds me of a story of a South American farmer uh, he had some horses, and the horses broke out of the corral and uh, broke the fence and ran away. And the people in the neighborhood came to commiserate with him and said, oh, that's, that's bad, what happened? And the farmer responded, well, who knows if it's good or if it's bad. Uh, a week later, those horses returned, and they brought some wild horses with them. So the neighbors came again and said, oh, isn't that good? Um, You've doubled the size of your herd. And the farmer said, oh, who knows if it's good or if it's bad. Uh, later uh, in the week, his son was trying to break some of those wild horses, and he got thrown off and broke his leg. 
The neighbors came again and said, oh, that's bad. And I said, well, who knows if it's good or bad. And the following week, the military came and conscripted all the able-bodied young men in that village and took them off to fight a war. And so, of course, who knows if it's going to be good or bad. So these people in Deuteronomy chapter 8 in the wilderness, they didn't know uh, it was going to be good for them. But God knew. He knew the, uh, the end from the beginning. And so uh, he knew that he was doing this for their good. Uh, Joseph says a, a similar thing to, um, to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Uh, when Joseph was going through it, he may not have understood all those things. But at the end, he could look back and say that. In Psalm 73, we saw that uh, the psalmist declared that God is good, but his, um, his vision was clouded because he was envying the wicked, the wealthy wicked in particular, and thinking, well, they had it all together. They didn't have to worry uh, about anything. And uh, in looking at them, uh, it tore him apart uh, until he went into the sanctuary. We read in Psalm 73, verse 7, 17, uh, that he understood their end. He realized they don't have it very good at all. Uh, they're headed for destruction. God will despise their image. And then he looked at what he had and recognized that his perspective was all uh, wrong. Uh, they weren't to be envied, they were to be pitied. Uh, he was to be envied because of the wonderful uh, assurances he had in the presence of God in his, in his life. And so, in that sense, uh, he, had it, he had it good, but he didn't realize it. And so, perhaps we don't realize how good uh, we have it uh, as well. Um, we get our eyes off the Lord and look at the wrong things and think, well, the world has it so good. We don't. Um, we need to change our perspective. And so he went into the presence of God and had an attitude adjustment and saw things from God's perspective. Uh, tonight we're going to look at the 107th Psalm. And the perspective here is very different. When you turn to Psalm 107, this is the the latest of the psalms, the last psalm to be written. If you were to scan through the psalms, you'd come to Psalm 90 and see that it was a psalm of Moses, the man of God. And so that was written perhaps somewhere around the year 1400 BC. Uh, this psalm in front of us is written somewhere around the time of, of Haggai and Zechariah. It fits into that time. So somewhere uh, just about 500 uh, years BC. Uh, so a difference of perhaps 900 uh, years between the two Psalms, from the oldest Psalm to the youngest uh, Psalm. And so uh, this Psalm looks back and the perspective then is different because they're looking, the Psalmist is looking back over Israel's history and saying, here's what happened, here are the things we went through, and uh, God brought us uh, through that. And so uh, when the Psalms, the Psalter was put together, uh, this Psalm was added, perhaps written by uh, Zechariah, who knows, but at the end of the captivity period when they'd returned to the land. And it's a Psalm that proclaims the goodness of God, but along with the goodness of God, it talks about the, the misery of man. And so 
if you just look down through the psalm, just glance at a few verses, like Psalm 6, uh, has the word trouble and distresses. And the same words are in verse 13, trouble and distresses. And then verse 19, trouble and distresses. And then again for a fourth time in verse 28, trouble and distresses. And so it really is a psalm that declares God's mercy in the midst of man's misery. And so uh, in this psalm, there are four sort of scenarios or visionettes or uh, word pictures, uh, four different situations. And in each of these situations, you have this word trouble and distresses. So in verses four to nine, then in verses uh, 10 down to 16, and then 17 down to 22, and 23 uh, down to 32. And so you have these four scenes of trouble, of distress, of uh, things going wrong, terribly wrong. And yet in each of them, God responds. And four times over, this response is called for. So you see it in verse 8. Verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So God responds in each of these scenarios uh, to the situation that the children of Israel found themselves in. And of course, as we look at it, we recognize uh, their situations are different. Uh, this, in a sense, is narrative looking back at their history, uh, perhaps in some ways poetically, but still looking back at their history and seeing the hand of God in it. And so we are going to look at it by way of application, what they experienced literally, what they went through and is expressed poetically. We want to uh, just take an application and see if we can find some practical uh, lessons for our life about the goodness of God. And so uh, six times over in this, in this chapter, in this psalm, the, uh, the goodness of God is mentioned in verse one, uh, it says he is good. And then in those other references we mentioned, and then in verse 43, uh, the last line says the loving kindness, but it's all the same word. And so it could be translated as loving kindness, the as unfailing love, his unfailing uh, love in verse 43. But it's all the same word. God is, is good. And so let's start where the psalmist starts. Uh, you'll notice if you just glance at Psalm 107, verse 1, and then you glance over at Psalm 106, verse 1. They both start uh, the same way. In fact, Psalm 105 uh, talks of the, uh, the mercy of God, the goodness of God to Israel. And then in 106, it talks really of, uh, of how Israel responded and how they treated God and uh, ignored his mercy. And then in 107, it's looking back to see how God uh, rectified those, those situations. So both Psalms start the, the same way, to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his, his mercy endures uh, forever. And that's a wonderful 
wonderful place uh, to start. The fact that his mercy uh, endures uh, forever. But he goes on in verse 2 to say, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and the south. So this is Israel looking back uh, after the captivity and the return to the land and saying, uh, Blessed be God, or blessed uh, be the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. His mercy endures forever. They're looking back and saying, Here's what God did. So by way of application, we could say the same things. It's not that he's physically gathered us out of nations, but he certainly redeemed us, as it says in verse 2. And uh, we can say so. He has redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. And of course, the enemy of our soul was uh, Satan and is Satan. And so we've been redeemed out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of the son of his, his love. And so we can proclaim then that God is good and his mercy does endure. And we can, as the redeemed, let people know that. So that brings us to these four scenarios. And there are different ways of uh, looking at uh, these. Uh, the first one uh, could be, by application, uh, believers who stray away. The second one, believers who are suffering. The third one, believers who are sick. And the fourth one, believers at sea. Uh, the first one been entitled in the desert. The second in the dungeon. Uh, the third is having disease. And the fourth is in the deep. Uh, and so there are various ways of looking at these. But as we think of them, we'll see that uh, God responded to the situation of his people. They, as they were going through these scenarios of going through these things, they would have no idea, uh, perhaps, what God was doing uh, and how God was responding. But at the end of it, the cry is, or the call is, that men should give thanks to God for his goodness. So let's consider the first one, verse uh, verse 4 verse 9. Obviously, we're, there's a long psalm, and we're just going to highlight some of the things, but you can perhaps uh, spend some time on it later, just thinking over these things. So verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city uh, for a dwelling place. Oh, that Men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And so this is poetic imagery that expresses uh, some of Israel's wanderings and, and uh, failings. Um, the thought of a city is uh, seen in scripture. Abraham looked for a city and had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He was a pilgrim, a sojourner, but uh, lived in a tent, but he was anticipating uh, that city whose builder and maker was God. Uh, here, they're hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted in them. By way of application, uh, we could say that uh, sometimes people seek to satisfy or quench the hunger of the soul, the thirsting of the soul, in ways that are not uh, godly. 
and that can happen to Christians where we seek satisfaction outside of what we have and enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there is this uh, thought in scripture and it's, it's true in life that we do thirst for certain things. We, we thirst for significance. We thirst for relationships. We thirst for stability. Well, we thirst for many things, but ultimately uh, that thirst can only be satisfied uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Jeremiah chapter two, Jeremiah said, my people have committed two, two sins. There's two things they've done. One is they've forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they fune out for themselves broken cisterns that hold no water. As the hymn writer has said, I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed, and even as I stooped to drink, they mocked me as I wail. And so we try to satisfy or quench that thirsting of our soul in any other place, uh, we'll find no satisfaction, especially for a believer. Uh, you think of what the Lord Jesus said to the woman, in John chapter 4, he could give her water that would quench, would satisfy. She'd never thirst again. His offer in John chapter 7 was come and uh, drink. Those who were thirsty, come and drink. And he wasn't talking about physical thirst. He was talking about that thirst for significance, for meaning in life. And for those of us who know the Lord, at least intellectually, would say, yes, that's true. There can be no satisfaction now. None but Christ can satisfy. There's none other name for me. And so uh, these people, uh, they were hungry and they thirst, were thirsty, but looking in the wrong direction. So by way of application, we could say that might be true of, of some believers. And so what did the Lord do to these people? Verse 7, he led them forth by the right way. And then in verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Now, this word goodness here is different than the other usages in this, this psalm. This has to do with, with the practical goodness of God. Uh, perhaps like James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. And so these people found out that satisfaction is only found in God. We would know, too, that satisfaction can only be found in Christ. And so perhaps there have been times in our life when we were characterized by this. We were looking in the wrong places. We were out of fellowship with the Lord. And uh, he intervened, and he led us forth by the right way. He brought us back into an, his abiding presence, to fellowship uh, with him. And so you're going through those things, when the Lord intervenes, you may not recognize, well, God is good. But looking back over life, uh, you can say, wasn't God good? I can remember times in my life where the Lord intervened through people. Uh, so people, sometimes even unsafe people, said things to me that just got my attention or recognized I need to uh, change my attitude or my thoughts or the, this, where I'm seeking satisfaction. And I can look back and say, yes, the Lord is, is good. Uh, I'm so glad he intervened and had people there uh, to arrest my progress. And so he satisfies the longing soul. The next scenario then, verse 10, those who sat in darkness and the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the word of God 
and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he's broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. And so uh, here are some who are in darkness and the shadow of, of death, uh, bound uh, in affliction and trouble and in irons. Again, it's a poetic you know, response to their situation. Why was it so? What did they do? Verse 11 is because they rebelled against the words of God, despised the counsel of the Most High. And so, by way of application, uh, there probably have been times in our life when we disobeyed, knowingly disobeyed the Word of God, where it was very clear what His will uh, was for us, what His Word said to us, and yet uh, we chose a different direction. We rebelled, uh, we were disobedient, and we despised His counsel. Um, looking back from the perspective of many of us, I'm sure we can look back in life and say, yes, there were times when that was starting to happen, or there's times when those things might have happened. And how did God intervene? What did he do? He brought, in verse 12, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. There was none to help. And again, you're going through that situation. You come to an end of yourself, and you think, where is God in this? How, how could a good God allow this to happen? But God was at work. The one he loves, he disciplines, he chastens. And so here, uh, his, the chastening hand of God, they cried out in, his tr in their trouble. After they got to the point where they recognized there's no other place to go but to the Lord. And what does he do in verse 16? He has broken the gates. He, he gives liberty um, that can only be found in him. And so again, by way of application. There's freedom from the bondage of disobedience, from wandering astray. That's found in Christ. And his uh, reproving hand, his chastening hand may be difficult at times. And it's at the end of life, looking back, we'll see, well, boy, God was good. It was good to me to intervene, to change the direction of my life. We think of Jonah who deliberately disobeyed the word of the Lord and went the wrong way. And the storm, uh, the, the whale, all that transpired. Um, after he could look back and say, well, God was, God was good. Going through it, uh, he didn't see that at all. He wanted to give up. He wanted to die. But in retrospect, as we read his story, we can say God was good. So that's the second uh, scenario. The third scenario is in uh, verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near the gates of death. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, delivered them from their destruction. So that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. And so here, it's because of sin. Uh, they transgressed uh, their iniquities. And so 
it had a, uh, the poet says, or the psalmist says, it had a physical effect on them. We read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, Psalm 6, and you see David's Psalms of repentance, and you see the effect it had on them, not only spiritually, but emotionally and physically as well. And so that's what the psalmist pictures here. They have wandered into sin. They've transgressed. They have iniquities. He calls them fools. Now, in the Old Testament, both in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. In the New Testament, uh, the fool is one who lives as if there were no God. And so a Christian can be a fool in that sense. He can live as if there were no God. And so uh, these people wandered, uh, got into sin. And what does the Lord do? Well, there's consequences. In verse 18, we're reminded of Galatians 6, verse 7, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so they, they reap the consequences of their, their actions. And the Lord allows that to, to happen in life. And what does he do? What's the Lord do? He sends his word and heals them. He turns them back to the word of God. One of the things that happens when we are uh, into sin and we wander like this is we stop reading the Word of God. We stop fellowshipping with other believers. We stop praying. Those spiritual exercises, disciplines start to disappear uh, from our life. But what does the Lord do? He sends His Word to them. And it's His Word that heals and delivers them uh, from destructions. And so that's the antidote for uh, for sin in the believer's life is to get back into uh, the word of God, to delight in his word. The blessed man of Psalm 1 whose daily was, the word was daily his delight. And so that's the Lord's response here to these people that he gives them his word. And then his counsel in verse 22 is that they respond with a thanksgiving or a peace offering, declare his works, sing songs of joy uh, about what the Lord has done. You notice the, the transformation, verse 18, they drew near the gates of death. In verse 22, uh, there's, there's rejoicing. And so what a difference uh, obedience to the word makes. And so again, they could look back and be so thankful that the Lord intervened. And from a different perspective, from, from uh, looking from here to the past, they could say, this isn't God good uh, in what he did. And then in verse uh, 23 to verse, uh, to verse 32, we won't read this whole section, but here it's really the circumstances of life. It talks about those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business in the great waters. And so these are mariners, they're sailors. Uh, they're caught in this storm, not because necessarily they've done anything wrong, but it's just the circumstances of life. It's just one of those things that happen. Uh, storms at sea uh, take place. Uh, and so here, these are mariners who are pictured. Uh, they see the greatness of God uh, in the sea and in the creation. Um, you know, the, the language is wonderful poetry. Uh, the stormy wind, he lifts up the waves of the sea, they mount up to the heavens, they go down to the depths. 
But then the result is the soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro. Verse 27, stagger like a drunken man. They're at the wit's end. And so we're reminded of Mark chapter 4. The disciples uh, trying so hard. Or uh, in uh, the second one seen in Mark chapter 7, they're straining at the oars and uh, in danger of their life. And here uh, they're at the wit's end. Uh, experienced sailors, but they can they can do nothing uh, to get themselves out of this this situation. And so, what do they do? They cry to the Lord in their their trouble. And so it is in life. Uh, storms do come. Uh, I think of Horatio Spafford's hymn: "When upon life's billows you are tossed, tempest tossed." And that happens in life. Uh, it can be storms of weather, but storms in other ways. It can be pandemics. Other things happen to us. And we come to our wit's end and we cry out to the Lord. What does he do? He calms, in verse 29, he calms the storm. Verse 30, then they are glad because they are quiet. He guides them into their desired haven. And so, the Lord intervenes. Now, of course, not everyone comes through unscathed, but the Lord can use the storms of life to uh, minister his peace and to give the assurance of his presence in times like that. And so what is the response in verse 32? Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Tell what great things the Lord has done. So again, looking at these four scenarios uh, and uh, making application to our life, you can think back uh, perhaps of all four of these uh, scenarios by way of application being true at some time or other in your, your life and experience. I can look back in our life and, and see things that happened and uh, we'd wonder at the time, well, why did, why did that happen? Um, but looking back and see the goodness of God. Perhaps just a couple of personal stories. Uh, not long after we got married, uh, the company I worked for uh, had layoffs. We, the economy went through a downturn and, uh, you know, I was laid off. Uh, we were just married and had very little money, but it was amazing. Uh, the Lord provided for some reason, the, the government gave me, more than I thought I should have got uh, in unemployment insurance. And uh, after a relatively short time, uh, some other guys didn't, uh, didn't go back, but uh, they called people back and I was able uh, to go back. And what I realized uh, right then, even at the beginning of our marriage is that uh, it's not the company that provides, but it's God that provides. And that really helped us later in life. Uh, when we were in Zambia, and getting prepared, preparing to leave, we were in a very bad car accident. The car was, was total. Um, and out of what we had planned was we would sell that vehicle for our flight home. Uh, we didn't have the funds to fly home, but uh, the plan was to sell the, the vehicle and then uh, use the proceeds to, to buy tickets to fly home. And so the car was, was a write-off, but uh, several wonderful things happened. There was another vehicle, the exact same vehicle. These were Chevy's Izzards, Chev's made in Japan. And uh, the front of our vehicle was totally destroyed. We went under an ore truck. 
but somebody else had uh, destroyed the uh, the back end of their vehicle. Uh, same vehicle, same make, model, everything. And so there was a man who was willing to buy our vehicle and cut it in half and put the good uh, the good back end on the good front end of the other vehicle. And in a wonderful way too, the Lord just provided. Uh, so we were depending on the car, but I think the Lord just showed us you don't have to depend on those things. You can depend on me. And so going through it, we wouldn't have seen how how this is going to turn out for good. But in retrospect, we can see uh, the hand of God. And I'm sure if we had a testimony time, we could all uh, give testimony of God's goodness in times past. Well, if we think of the end of this psalm, uh, in verses uh, 33 on down, uh, he says, God has the ability to make a place barren or to make it bountiful. Uh, God can do that. He's sovereign. He is over nature, and he can uh, turn rivers into wilderness uh, in verse 33, or uh, he can, in verse uh, 37, they may yield a fruitful harvest. And so God can do uh, either one. Uh, God is good, but he has the power, uh, the authority to do as he wishes. Uh, he, he also will not let the, uh, the wicked uh, get away with things. And so, um, verse 39, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there's no way. He sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. And so God watches over his own. In the Old Testament, the, the blessings were physical and visible. The New Testament, they are uh, spiritual and eternal. But in verse 42, it says, The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. An interesting turn of phrase there. So what do the righteous see? The righteous see the goodness of God. And so even in a pandemic, even in times like this, the righteous look and see, yes, God is good. And he works all things for good to those that love the Lord. They see the goodness of God. All iniquity stops its mouth. As the unsaved, the unbelievers, see the goodness of God, at times, uh, even in terrible circumstances, it says they have nothing to say. It said of uh, George Mueller in the days when uh, he was operating what was called Ashley Downs, the orphanages in Bristol in England, and at one time, uh, as many as 2,300 orphans uh, in his care. It's uh, said that uh, the, the atheist uh, infidels had nothing to say against God. There was living proof of the goodness of God, and so their mouths were stopped. But I like verse 43. Whoever is wise will observe these things. They will understand, and it's the same word that we've been seeing, the goodness of the Lord, the loving kindness of the Lord. It's observable. So I trust that as we've thought through this, uh, it's perhaps given a, uh, an apologetic look. Is God good? Yes. Uh, and saw in Deuteronomy 8, they were in it. And they couldn't see the goodness of God. In Psalm 73, his, uh, his vision was skewed, and he was looking at the wrong things, and he couldn't see the goodness of God. Here in Psalm 107, they look back over history, and they say, yes, uh, 
God is good. And so uh, the psalmist would say, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works, the children of men. We who are wise, as in born again, we know and understand the loving kindness, the goodness of the Lord. No wonder we can sing at times, how good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure or end. Or if you look back to Psalm 100, just close with the last two verses. Verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. God is good. We'll taste and see that God is good. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. And, uh, we think of this topic, uh, how the beginning of Old Testament history, the declaration is that uh, you are abundant in goodness. And uh, yet all through scripture and through our life and experience, uh, terrible things happen. Disasters uh, take place. Pandemics occur. And yet uh, we know, uh, based on scripture, based on our faith, uh, based on our experience that God is good. As we look back over history, we can see how good uh, you are, how good you are to uh, Israel in the past, how good you are to, uh, to unsaved in the gospel, and how good you are to us in that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. And so, we thank you for being such a good God. We pray that unsaved would see this. The goodness of God leads to repentance. We pray that even in times like this, people would, would see uh, the futility of life, that uh, the, the things they thirst for can so easily be taken away, and satisfaction can only really be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Watch over your people. We again commit to you those items that were on the board, those prayer concerns, I'm so thankful we can lift them up to you. And so, Father, we seek your blessing, and uh, we separate in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.